Well, here for a, for a few moments, let's talk a little bit about shame, shall we? And upgrading from shame to acceptance. Shame can wake you up, but it can also weigh you down. It's not designed to be a protracted experience. It's designed to get your attention about uh, that, that, that where something needs to be addressed. It has a connection to guilt. And, and there are people, sociologists, who, who will say that shame has, has absolutely no place in a person's life. I, I beg to differ. I think it can uh, actually can, can wake us up to some things that we need to pay attention to. Can you imagine living in a culture where no one feels any shame for anything? Well, self-restraint goes out the, out the window. And in cultures where obscenity has no boundaries, obscenity has no definition, where no one feels any shame, well, my goodness, um, you know, self-restraint just simply does not exist. But let me put a statement up here on the screen. Guilt and shame, they're related and yet different. I don't want to push this too far because there's certainly some overlap. But generally speaking, guilt is where someone says, you know, I did something wrong. I, I did a wrong. I need to apologize. I need to confess this. I need to make this right. Shame tends to be a little more pervasive. I am a wrong. I am a failure. Guilt is about punishment. I need to apologize, confess, receive forgiveness, sort of legally, if you will. Shame fears abandonment. And shame tends to reroute good news. It's like a, a person who's just wallowing in shame might say, I believe the good news of, of God. I believe the good news of Jesus. I believe there's grace and forgiveness. I, I believe that for you, for you. But I'm on the outside looking in. You don't know my story. You don't know what I did. You don't know my connection. And the simple definition of shame is simply when other people think poorly of you, when other people think poorly of me. It's that intense pain of feeling unworthy, disconnected, and unlovable before people and God. Here's a pretty good definition from Ed Welch. Shame is the deep sense that you are unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. Or to strengthen the language, you're disgraced because you acted less than human. You were treated as if you were less than human. Or you were associated with something less than human. And there are witnesses. You know, there's no shortage of things in Satan's toolbox to make you just sort of feel ashamed. It might be how tall you are, how tall you're not. Your weight, where are you from? Oh, you're from that place? Oh, you're not from here? Oh, you went to school there? You couldn't get in here? Well, you didn't go to school. There's no shortage of weapons in Satan's toolbox to cause you to feel shame. You know, back in November of 1960, November of 1963, you know, I was five years old. November 22nd, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated here in Texas, in Dallas. The assassin was uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. 
And uh, I realize a lot of people are into conspiracy theories on that. But uh, I believe Lee Harvey Oswald was the assassin. He not only shot President Kennedy, he, he murdered a Dallas police officer, J.D. Tibbet, uh, Tippett, later that afternoon. Um, Lee Harvey Oswald had a brother, Robert Oswald, who was a professional working in Dallas, and he hears on the radio about the assassination and later about the arrest of his brother that afternoon. And for those of you who know the, the history, Oswald himself was, was uh, shot by Jack Ruby on Sunday. And so Robert Oswald, here he was, he was married, he was a businessman, he had been a Marine, served our nation during the Korean conflict, and his friend said, you're either going to have to move out of Dallas or change your name. It's not going to work for you to have the last name Oswald here. And he said, I live here. I love it here. I'm not moving. I'm not changing my name. My brother may have dishonored our name, but it's a good name. If you dig into my family back, it's a, it's a good name. By the way, two weeks after President Kennedy's assassination, Robert Oswald was riding with his family. Um, our, our, our nation actually provided Secret Service protection for them for a couple of weeks. But after that protection was over, he's driving with his family. He had a, you know, a taillight that was out or something. A police officer pulls him over. He pulls out his driver's license, shows the driver's license. The police officer says, Oswald, are you related to Lee Harvey? He said, he was my brother. He said, the police officer got close to him and said, we just want you to know, my wife and I, we've been praying for you for the last two weeks. Uh, Robert Oswald died at the age of 83 in 2017. He never moved from Texas. He never changed his name. He and his wife built a good life together. They raised two daughters, had four grandchildren. And I actually believe that it was due to his Christian faith that he refused to allow shame to have the last word. And by the way, when he died, he was a member at the Faith Village Church of Christ in Wichita Falls, Texas. There's no shortage of weapons in Satan's toolbox to beat yourself up with. And the shame game can be fed, one, by hiding, just by refusing to commit to vulnerable open relationships. It can be fed by comparing, <laughs> constant comparing. In our first service today, my friend Lewis Parker was here, and I recognized him. Lewis was sitting right over here. Lewis is a great guy. Uh, and in a way, I really like him, really respect him. In some ways, I don't like him at all, and I'll tell you why. I have a pretty healthy self-esteem. I feel pretty good about myself, and I think I'm pretty productive. But whenever I'm around Lewis Parker, I feel like a lazy slug. Let me tell you why. Lewis Parker is the preacher for the Sugarland Church of Christ. 
service. He was here in our 8.30 service, but after that, he was preaching at 10 a.m. at the Sugarland Church of Christ. He's preaching again tonight, a different message. Lewis is also an attorney. Not only that, he's a lieutenant with the Houston Police Department. He can arrest you, advise you, and pray for you all in the same day. I said, Lewis, can you not make up your mind on a vocation? I mean, my goodness. Preaching the way he does regularly, an attorney, a lieutenant with the Houston Police Department. And so if I want to just compare myself to Lewis, I'm full of shame. I'm a lazy slug. No, he's just an overachiever is what he is. And then judging. Judging is where, you know, hey, I need to find somebody. I'm going to cope with my shame by finding someone who I think their, their shame exceeds mine. Or just unbelieving. This is where I think, you know, nobody has a skeleton in their closet like I do. And this is where what you do is you just can't believe that the worst moment in your life can ever be dealt with by God's grace and mercy and renewal. And you take the worst moment of your life or the worst moment in someone else's life and you put a label on them and you put that label and it's stamped and it's permanent. And you look in the mirror and you say, you know what? I'm always going to be 1985. I'm always going to be 1991. You'll always be 2012 in my book. You know, you're always going to be 2017 and don't think you'll ever get beyond it. Shame says, I believe the good news. I do. It's just not for me. I'm on the outside looking in. My label can't be dealt with. Well, shame's not a race, but it can be replaced. And it begins by truly believing the cleansing. Believing the grace that God has for you. Reading from Romans 7, the Apostle Paul says, What a wretched man I am. And who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind, I'm a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Therefore, there is, you listening now, as of today, right now, fully here, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did it. Who did? God did it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of God's law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, you don't earn grace. It's a gift. It's free. And Jesus paid for our freedom. And Satan himself is called what? A tempter? What's another name for him? A deceiver? What's another name for him? 
a liar. What's another name for him? The accuser. The accuser. And the, the accuser wants to keep reminding you of your worst moment. Every saint you know has a past. And every sinner you know has a future under God's grace. And the salvation of Jesus Christ, and it involves more than just legal forgiveness. There's something more than just legal acquittal here. And that's personal acceptance. And that's why when you read the Gospels, about this, and you read about the life of Jesus, the definitive blow to shame is how Jesus treated all the marginalized, the people who should have been wearing shame hats, but the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the Gentiles, the demon-possessed. He goes to the edges and loves and welcomes the grand story, that wonderful message of the prodigal son, who did what? Shamed himself, shamed his father, shamed his entire community, and then comes home empty-handed, covered in pig filth. And everything about him screams shame. And how does the father respond? Gives him a bear hug, new clothes, a ring on his finger, the American Express card. And a feast where he is the guest of honor. The father's radical love banishes not just guilt, but shame. You know, sometimes people say, well, how can I forgive myself? You, I understand the question. You know, you can't play tennis by yourself. You just can't do it. And you can't, you can't forgive yourself. You can sin. You can be broken. You can be alienated from God. You can't forgive yourself. God does that. And what you do is you believe the cleansing by faith. You accept it. And you accept that, my friends, in Christ, you are not a burden to the Lord. You are a blessing but when you view yourself as a burden to the Lord and a burden to others, then you're incapable of seeing him as a good, good father, a generous father. And you don't see yourself as a child of the king, as a son of the king, as a daughter of the king. You're not a burden, you're a blessing. I'm a child of the king and so are you. And then you receive the fellowship. You really do. You receive the fact that you do belong here. You do belong with God's people. And quite honestly, you need them and they need you. You take an ember from a fireplace, you pull it out. I'll tell you what's going to happen over time. It's going out. And whenever somebody says, you know, I don't feel as connected as, as I need to be, get engaged in the fellowship. And not just from a personal, like, for me. Let's for, no, no. The body needs you too. And here's what happens. In dealing with guilt and shame, God forgives us legally, but we need one another to regularly say to each other, hey, you're not your worst moment here. You're not your worst moment with me. I'm not going to be brokering shame to you, saying, oh, you're always 2005 in my book. No. What we want to do, we want to broker grace, renewal, 
and traffic in the gracious distribution of one new beginning after another. In the book of 2 Corinthians, there's a story of a man who had sinned greatly in that particular church. And here was Paul's advice to them. He said, you need to forgive him and comfort him to keep him from having too much sadness and giving up completely. Ray Ortman said, you want to get better from shame? Here's a formula. I'll put it on the screen. The gospel, the good news that God is for you, can forgive you and renew you in Christ, plus safety, plus time equals better. You know what safety is? Safety is a group of people who say, hey, we're in this together. I know the story. I I know the flaw. I know you're not. You don't have to pretend with me, okay? You don't have to pretend with me. We're safe. We're walking together. And let me just remind you, one word of encouragement after a a failure is worth more than a whole book of praise after a success. And some of you in this room and some of you watching online, you've got to stop listening to some goofy comment that was made to you three years ago and start listening to wise, godly people of today who can breathe new life into your soul. And some of you have got to stop listening to these imaginary voices, these imaginary accusatory voices in your head, and start listening to the true redemptive voices of relief and new beginnings. And then thirdly, you own your new life. You own it in Christ by repentance. And this is where we're beginning, we're going to say, okay, I'm going to take ownership of my life. I'll acknowledge what needs to be acknowledged. I want to seek to turn from what I need to turn from. There's a little phrase in the Bible, and it's beautiful. It talks about having a clear conscience. You know how to have a clear conscience? You say, well, Ronnie, how in the world can a person, a broken, sinful person like me have a clear conscience? A clear conscience does not belong to someone who's perfect. That person doesn't exist. Jesus taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer, right? And part of that daily prayer is, forgive me of my sins, even as I forgive those who sin against me. Here's how you have a clear conscience, though. It's the assurance that neither God nor anyone else can blame me for wrong that I haven't tried to make right. That neither a person nor God can accuse me of a wrong that I'm aware of. That I haven't tried to make right either through an apology or in a correction. That's a clear conscience. And you own that. You start to step out of shame. And last of all, you... Be good with a new kind of shame. There's a kind of shame you want, and you're willing to embrace. Um, That's why the Bible says don't ever be ashamed of the gospel. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, however, if you suffer as a Christian, 
do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. You know, there are a lot of folks, a lot of believers, they can actually have shame over good things and be ashamed of the Lord, be ashamed of the gospel, be ashamed of biblical values. You know, gang, we live in a world now that if you're going to own your faith, if you're going to live by biblical values, and those are your, you know, uh, rocks that you stand on, um, no, nobody's going to throw you in prison, but uh, you might not get invited to the party. There may be some social costs. You'll no longer wear the cool hat. You may not be in that group. Be willing to be good and own the kind of shame that says, I'm with the Lord, I stand with him, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, it was said of the apostle Peter that uh, when he would preach, people would make the sound of a rooster crowing. Just to remind him of who he was. You know, shame usually follows a little pattern. And here's the pattern. First, we experience a really painful event. And secondly, we start to believe the lie that our pain and failure is who we are. Not just something that I, I did or not just something that was done to me. It's who I am. And then thirdly, we start to believe the trap that I'll never, ever be able to recover and that, that I really don't even deserve to recover. I go back to Peter, who told the Lord, I'm going to stand faithfully with you until the very end. But unfortunately, real life events proved otherwise, proved Peter wrong. And a rooster's crow reminded Peter of his triple failure. But Peter refused to believe the lie that his betrayal now was a permanent brand. He was broken. He was repentant. He cried out to God. And Jesus honored Peter's desperate plea, forgave him, restored him, listen, gave him a new assignment. And it was Peter who preached that inaugural kingdom message. And his failure was transformed from tragedy into a victory because of Peter's repentance and God's forgiveness, and it became an inspiring, inspiring story. Like Peter, listen carefully, I want you to be convinced that you are not your worst moment, and you are not what others have done to you. Rather, we are who God declares us to be by His grace and in the Holy Spirit. We are His children, and you are forgivable. You are moldable. You are changeable. You are covered in the limitless love of God, and He has a fresh assignment for you. But here's what you're going to have to do. 
you got to accept the fact that there are some things you can't go back and undo. You cannot unscramble that egg. And you can't go back and undo it. But then you can embrace the truth that our great God, he can change the future. Jesus went to the cross. He took our guilt. He took our shame. And here's what you're invited to do today. You're invited to step out into the light of God's fresh tomorrow. Embrace his grace. Embrace his declaration to you that you are indeed his son, his daughter. In our first, song, in our first service today, I asked Kyle to lead a song that uh, uh, we sing here primarily in our a cappella style. And Don, you can be making your way up here for our closing prayer. And it's called like uh, uh, the lifter of my head. You know that song? That the Lord's the lifter of my head. And that's a, a picture, an image I want you to have of yourself today. That if your head's bowed in worship, that's one thing. But if your head is bowed in shame, I believe the good news. I believe the Lord is good for everybody but me. But I'm on the outside looking in. No, you're not. No, you are not. You let him lift your head. And that's why the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, we can come to the throne of grace and mercy. And you know how? The Bible says, you come boldly. We come boldly not because we're arrogant. We come boldly because we've been declared righteous by our great God and King.